Well, good morning, family. Uh, if we don't know each other, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the servant leaders here in our family. Spend most of my time down in Jackson and I'm part of a missional community family uh, down in Jackson. But it's, it's great to be together with you, uh, family up in West Bend. We are finishing up our series, Spirit, the Kingdom of God is Near, this morning, where we're looking at uh, the third person in what's called the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So I'm excited to be here with you. Um, just to, to get into that, how many of you have cut your lawn this spring? Anybody cut your lawn? So if your arm's not up, you either don't have a lawn or you're going to like bale hay or like whatever, right? Because it's probably pretty long by now. But what do you do before you're going to cut your lawn? Maybe you're like me where you don't know how to sharpen your own blade. So you take your blade off, you bring it to tennies, they sharpen it, you put it back on. Maybe you change your oil to get it ready. Maybe you change the, the air filter, um, make sure the spark plug is, is good. I, you know, there's various things. I'm not that smart that way, but there's various things you do, right? To prepare your lawnmower so that you're ready to cut your lawn. But then you've done all that and you've got a pull start. You don't have an electric start. You've got a pull start. And so you pull that lawnmower and nothing happens. And you're like, Hmm, Nothing happens. And you're like, man, I know I kind of laid off my CrossFit program in this winter, but there's got to be something wrong. So you pull it again and you pull even harder. And still, nothing happens. Your lawnmower doesn't start. And then it hits you. Oh, yeah. I forgot to add the gas. So it's not going to work without the gas in the lawnmower, right? And I, I wonder, family, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit... And, and, and the Holy Spirit empowering us to follow Jesus, to be a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. I wonder if all too often in my life and yours, it's like we're pushing a lawnmower, trying to cut the lawn without any gas. We're trying to do it on our own. We're trying to do it without the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And family, if we're going to be disciples who make disciples, a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus, we've got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that we're going to be able to do it. The only way that we're going to have the power to do what Jesus calls us to do. So this morning, as we conclude our series, we're going to look at that truth. And to do that, I'm going to have you turn now to Acts chapter 2. Uh, I think the page number will be up on the screen, Acts chapter 2. But before we get there, uh, I need to read you kind of Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 24, then we're going to read Acts chapter 1, and then we're going to get to Acts chapter 2. But go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So Jesus is risen from the grave by the time we're talking here in Luke 24. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus is telling them, basically, you're going to go out, you're going to be my followers and preach forgiveness of sin, repentance. Uh, you're going to help other people follow me. You're going to be my disciples, my witnesses, whatever you want to say. You're going to be disciples and make disciples of all nations. But you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it on your own. You need to wait from power on high. Look what it says in the chapter before we're going to read. Acts chapter 1. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, 
But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. So he tells his followers, wait in Jerusalem for the power to do what I called you to do, which is to be a disciple who makes disciples. But now, like it, game on. Let's go. It's real. He left. (laughs) He left. And they've got to do it. They're like, how are we going to do it? Um, Well, they need the Holy Spirit to do it. So they had gathered together, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost is what they're celebrating. We'll talk about that. They're gathered in one place, seemingly waiting and praying. If you look at Acts chapter 1, what they did was they waited and they prayed. And then you know what else they did? They waited and they prayed. You know what else they did? They waited and they prayed. This is a common occurrence that these the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts are waiting and praying a lot. It brings us to Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own language, native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. (laughs) So here's what's going on. They're gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost is 50 days after they would celebrate Passover. And what this symbolizes is this is a day that they would get together and celebrate a physical crop harvest okay so what they're expecting as they gather together on pentecost is to celebrate the harvest that god has blessed them with crops physical material right and think of yourself if you're one of the jewish men or women who are are gathered at on this day all of a sudden you hear this violent wind come in a house nearby you where you're just you know sitting and hanging out with your friends and then all of a sudden you hear the Jewish people begin to speak about the wonders of God in your own native dialect that they wouldn't have known like they didn't know these and then that's what it has, has them ask in verses 7 and 8 aren't these men Galileans because this doesn't make sense Now, if you go back with me to the passage we first looked at, Luke 24, and it's repeated in Acts chapter 1, but who are the disciples going to make disciples of? Of all nations, right? Of all nations. And it's interesting, if you look at this map that Nathan's going to put up, the people that it listed in Acts chapter 2, 
Look at Asia, Phrygia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Media, Parthia, Elam, Mesopotamia, Cyrene. I mean, it's like this map is the nations of the known world at that time who were gathered on the day of Pentecost, right? Pentecost is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. And so what's going on here is these early followers, I don't know if they know everything that God is up to in this time. We can read back into it, knowing the whole story. But here's what they know. In order to accomplish the mission of being disciples who make disciples, God's up to something different. They're experiencing his power, his presence, his spirit in a unique way on Pentecost that they hadn't before. This is what leads the people to say maybe they've had too much to drink. Verse 14. Well, how would Peter address this? How would he resolve kind of the conflict that's created? Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if I were to summarize what Peter said, Peter's like, guys, these these guys aren't drunk. It's nine. This isn't mimosa, Bloody Mary time. It's nine in the morning. What's going on here is what Joel actually said would happen, that God would pour out his spirit on his people so that they could take his message, the good news of Jesus, to all nations. He predicted that he would do it. And if we were to continue reading on in this passage, what happened was many Jewish people had this like huge aha moment. Like we just killed the long promised king, Messiah, Christ, who's been talked about for ages. We just killed him. What did we do? They're like, oh no. Right? It says that they're cut to the heart and they ask people, what do we need to do in essence to make this right? And he's like, well, repent of your sins and be baptized to symbolize that like you're turning from this way of life and this way of thinking and turning to this way of life following God and this way of thinking. And you know what the text says happened? How many people did that? 3,000. That's what Troy and I would call a good day. Okay? 3,000 people <laughs> turned and placed their faith and trust in Jesus and then symbolized it by being baptized. Um, and here's the question. What made that happen? Or more appropriately, who made that happen? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who the text says came and filled the disciples, causing them to speak in unknown languages to them that declared the wonders of God. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit caused these men who heard these languages to ask for an explanation. The Holy Spirit caused Peter to stand up boldly and say, here's what's going on. 
the reason that this is kind of like a hinge passage between the Old Testament and Old Covenant, old way of relating between God and His people and New Testament, New Covenant, new way of relating between God and His people is because God is doing something differently through the Holy Spirit from here on out. If you put up that first image, please, Nathan. I think both Troy and I talked about this on Easter. We talked about Jesus talking about destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. If you guys were here, you might remember that, right? And there was a double meaning. There was the destruction of the temple that physically did happen in Jerusalem, 80, 70-ish. But then he also was meaning more than that. See, in the Old Testament, the temple housed God's presence. Maybe you could say God's Spirit. His power, his presence was housed in the temple. But then Jesus comes along and he says, no, destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it three days. But really, the intended long-term meaning was me. I'm the temple. Meaning I house God's presence and God's power. If you want to meet with God, relate with God, etc., you don't need to go to the temple anymore. You need to come to me. I'm greater. greater than the, One greater than the temple is here, he says, right? But then he does something crazy. He leaves. He's like, I'm out. (laughs) But don't worry. I'm going to help you out. In this next picture, he says, you are my temple. Meaning we as family, followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of his, we now house, so to speak, God's presence and God's power so that we might point people back to Jesus. See, he's doing something different here because in the Old Testament, God's people didn't have God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, live within them. The technical term we'll talk about is indwell them. The Holy Spirit would come upon certain people for certain roles, for certain tasks, for certain responsibilities, but the Holy Spirit could come and go. What is it? Psalm, is it 51? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? I mean, it, it was different how God's Spirit related to God's people in the Old Testament. It didn't live inside of them. And this is why this passage is the hinge passage between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's doing something new where he gives the Holy Spirit to literally live inside his followers so that they might accomplish the mission he gave them to help others follow Jesus. To help others follow Jesus. How many of you do mobile banking? Anybody do mobile banking? Yeah, I'm kind of slow to the game or late to the game, but there's this amazing new ability that you can deposit a check and never have to deal with a human. It's amazing. It's one more way not to have to deal with humans. You should laugh. That's a joke. But it's kind of true, right? You can take a picture of a check, or I can, two pictures of a check with my phone, and I never have to go to the branch, temple, whatever you want to call it. Like, I I can just do that. I've been empowered anew by Westbury Bank and all the people who wrote the code to allow it to do that, etc. God, in giving the Holy Spirit, is empowering us anew in new ways that the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us so that we can be followers who help others follow Jesus. I'm going to skip this next passage, but in Jeremiah 31, he talks about this. He talks about rather than the law being the law, he's going to write the law on our hearts and our minds. He's going to relate to us, God, differently. Now, you may not realize this, or you may realize this, but a passage like Acts chapter 2 has caused disagreement amongst Christian traditions throughout the years and various Christians 
traditions. Um, some traditions have said, you know what, the Holy Spirit and how it worked in Acts chapter 2, that was very, very unique, which does seem kind of unique, right? But the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. All that supernatural stuff, that's done. Miracles, done. Speaking in different languages, done. Vikings fan becoming Packer fan, done. All this supernatural stuff, God doesn't do that anymore. And then you have people in other camps who would say, no, not only does God still do that, what happened in Acts chapter 2, that's normative. Like we should expect every follower of Jesus to experience the exact same thing that the followers of Jesus experienced in Acts chapter 2. And then there's camps in between. So on the one extreme, you have people basically like Thomas Jefferson who said that miraculous stuff, that's done. Doesn't count anymore. And on the other extreme, and the reason that they might think that on this way is maybe they've had some negative experience with spiritual extremes. Maybe they haven't experienced God that way. Um, and part of this is that, yeah, they, they, they don't want to just seek after deeper and deeper spiritual experiences and see the, whatever that is. And so they're over here and they're like, God's done with that stuff. He doesn't work in that way. And on the other stream, God still does that and everyone normatively should experience that. And people on this side are like, man, I've experienced God in such a way that I want other people to experience it. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, right? And so they just want that to be for everybody. And yet you can have extremes with that where you see people on TV, faith healers, whatever, who are flying around in jet planes and living in mansions anyways, right? So you can have spiritual extremes with that. What if the reality could be somewhere in between? What if the reality could be somewhere in between where we need to, as I'm going to show you and talk about, we need to be indwelt by the Spirit. That's at the point where we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we also need to, on a day in and day out level, we, we need to be filled by the Spirit. We need to have the Spirit stirred up in our lives so that we can be disciples who make disciples. Uh, let me show you an illustration that hopefully helps. So, this is the salad dressing of choice for myself. Um, this is brilliant marketing by Aldi. Uh, they call this oil and vinegar. You know why? Because it has oil and vinegar. Yes, very simple marketing. But oil and vinegar salad dressing. Imagine that the vinegar, the brown, symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Imagine that we symbolize the bottle, the temple, so to speak. Okay? Now, I think Mike hit on this a little bit uh, a few weeks back. But if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, and you also, he's talking to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So you see how this bottle is sealed, right? The Holy Spirit is inside this bottle, which is us. If I do this, does the Holy Spirit leave? If I do this, does the Holy Spirit leave? No. So when a person... When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, something supernatural happens that happened in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. This is what the scriptures call being indwelt by the Spirit. And once that happens, it's not, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Spirit out, Spirit in. It doesn't happen that way. We are sealed with the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't leave our life. In our reality. Okay, if you look at Romans chapter 8, 
It says this, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit of the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not believe belong to Christ. So this is saying if we don't have the spirit, we're not sons and daughters of his. That's the mark of a son or daughter of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit in their life. And that happens at the point of trusting in Jesus, yielding, surrendering, whatever you want to call it, giving our life to him, making him our Lord him our leader here's what's happened in my life though and probably happened in years too our experience of the power the presence whatever of the spirit differs at different times right so the spirit doesn't leave my life but there's times when i feel the power and the presence of the spirit more so and there's times where i feel power in the presence less of the spirit maybe there's times i don't sense god's deep love for me as much or as often I'm not as uh, convicted as Troy talked about a couple weeks ago about sin in my own life, right? I, I'm not necessarily focused on those I know who don't yet have relationship with Jesus, either locally or globally, and being a part of God using me and us to help them have relationship with Jesus, to help them follow it. The Spirit still sealed us. The Spirit doesn't leave us, and yet our experience of the Spirit's power in our life, it differs. And then I wonder, Acts 2, and different times throughout Acts, talks about being filled with the Spirit. I wonder if what that's meaning is the Spirit still that resides in us, that lives in us, that indwells us, needs to be stirred up in our lives. It needs to be stirred up so that we can realize His deep love for us. So that we can be convicted in healthy ways about our sin. As Troy talked about, not ways that push us away from God, but ways that draw us to God. The Spirit needs to be stirred up where we could sense who God is calling us in our lives, the life of our family, the lives of our groups, to show Jesus to, to love Jesus with. The Spirit needs to be stirred up so our affections would be stirred for Jesus at a deeper level. Here's the thing, though. What do you notice? As time goes on, and it would have already happened here, what begins to happen to the Spirit? It settles, right? In essence, it can get tamped down. I think the scriptures would call this quenching the spirit if you look at Ephesians. But it, it settles. It's not as stirred up. It's still inside, but it's not as stirred. What happens to this? What causes this? Well, our own sin and brokenness, other people's sin and brokenness, and sin and brokenness in our world, right? They can tamp down the spirit. So what we need is again and again, repeatedly, to have the spirit stirred in our lives. Coincidentally, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about it. It says, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know why it says that? Not because God's against drinking, but because when we're too filled with spirits, we're probably not bragging about Jesus. I, I haven't met many people who drink too much and are just praising Jesus all day long, right? He wants us to be showing His Spirit and who He is and pointing other people to Him. That's why He says that. But there's this common theme in the book of Acts. You see people both being indwelt by the Spirit, at the point they place their faith and trust in Jesus, but then also filled by the Spirit. And it happens with the same people, Peter and Paul, multiple times. It's not just like this one-time thing. It's multiple times. And it affects them in deep ways, in profound ways, and allows them to love God more and then to show his love more. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this, right? 
both being indwelt but then filled by the Spirit. This is where the illustration breaks down. Uh, by the way, I said you're sealed by the Spirit, which is true. Spirit can't come out. Spirit's going to come out. Go with me, okay? So there's a reason, though, that God indwells us and then fills us with His Spirit. Remember what He talked about in Acts chapter 1? Remember what He talked about in Luke? So that God's Spirit, God's message, God's good news could be poured out through our lives individually and communally to all nations, both locally and globally. There's a purpose. There's a reason that we're indwelt by the Spirit. There's a reason we need to be filled by the Spirit. And it's because if we don't do that, we cannot hope to accomplish our mission to be a family of followers of Jesus who help others follow Jesus, to be disciples who make disciples. We just can't do it on our own. We need God's power. A couple things. If you could put up that slide, please. Pentecost is a unique experience in the history of the way God's Spirit works amongst God's people. Am I saying that things like that don't happen anymore? No, I'm not. They do. What I'm saying is we don't need to try and recreate Pentecost. Right? We don't need to like say this was prescriptive and that it has to happen like this for every single follower of Jesus. And if not, uh, that's not true. Right? Does it with some? Sure. Is that great? Sure. Does it have to? No. It's unique. Second, though. Being filled with the Spirit happened to multiple people multiple times. I said this. So this would, um, Peter and Paul, three times it says, filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. This seems to be a normative, repetitive thing, where the Spirit is stirred in their life. Remember, so that they can, by the Spirit, proclaim the good news of Jesus and live it out amongst the nations. Lastly, what we can all agree on, no matter if someone would be in the camp over here, or the camp over here, I think we should all desire to be regularly filled up with the Spirit, stirred by the Spirit. I think we can agree on that. We, we need the Spirit in order to be disciples who make disciples. And so you might be asking the question, well, how does that happen? And first, um, kind of I don't know. But <laughs> what, what I mean by that is we can't manipulate God. Has anyone seen there's an ad on TV for Aladdin? They're doing, making these Disney films and then making them like real-ish. And you rub the thing and Will Smith comes out. Anybody seen that? Okay, that's not God. We don't rub like a thing and God comes out and he does what we say. He's God and we're not. So we can't make him do what we want. But another thing that's interesting is when God seemingly, to use the language that we're using this morning and the scriptures, filled his followers... You know what they were doing a lot? Waiting and praying. Waiting and praying. Waiting and praying. And I remember when um, myself and a team of people went down to Medellin, Colombia, to visit Tom and Jen Atwater, who've been up here, her amazing people, filled with God's Spirit and using that to love many people. Um, Tom did something where he had us make a circle, and he put on some music worship, and he just prayed for us. Was it supernatural? I mean, he prayed, right? That's pretty normal. We do that all the time. And he prayed that God's spirit would allow us to know how much God loves us. And it was a pretty amazing experience in the sense of he was praying for different people and he was praying for them specific things and he was praying for all of us that God's love would be known amongst us, that we would feel that so that we could show that to others. And it was amazing. I would call it a time where we were 
filled with the Spirit. I've experienced other things like that since. You know, many times. Like, maybe it's a music worship song that really I just sense the power and presence of the Spirit. Maybe it's a time in prayer. There's multiple ways, right? But I think what we can agree on is that we need to have the Spirit stirred in our lives. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have the lights go to music worship level. Um, and I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I'm going to pray for our family. And here's the prayer I want to pray. Um, I'm going to pray for maybe one group of people. Maybe there's someone here this morning. We can start the music too, please. Maybe there's someone here this morning who... Um, Maybe you would have been like the people who we didn't read about, but I explained where they were cut to the heart and they said, oh my goodness, what do I do? And Jesus would say, place your faith and your trust in me. Give your life, yield your life, surrender your life in trust to me. Believe in me. See, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've been around us, our family for a while. And maybe God, you've known about him. You know he existed. Maybe you'd even say he died for your sins, but it's never been personal. It's never affected you, really. Maybe it's some things to do, but you haven't sensed his deep love for you and experienced that. You, you haven't given your life to him. That's one group of people I'm going to pray for. The second group of people I'm going to pray for is those who you have. You know you're in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know the Holy Spirit indwells you. You're sealed with Him. And yet you need the Spirit stirred in your life. The Spirit stirred maybe for a relationship that needs to be restored. The Spirit stirred for maybe reaching out to someone you're afraid to reach out to with the good news of Jesus. The Spirit stirred for different reasons. There could be multiple. There are multiple sense you need the spirit stirred in your life so i'm gonna have everyone close their eyes please and what i'm gonna ask you to do is if you're in one of those two groups if you would identify with one of those two i'm just gonna ask you to stand everyone's eyes are closed don't stand because i've asked you to consider standing stand if you feel like god encourages you to stand that the spirit is working to have you stand I'm going to give a couple minutes for those who feel like the Spirit is leading them to do that. And and if you want to, maybe you can just put your hands out, palms up, signifying a surrender to God, a yielding to God. Father, I'm so thankful to be a part of this family with my brothers and sisters who point me back to your son, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that where I continually fail, he never did. I'm so thankful that even now he's by your right hand and he is praying for all of us here. I'm so thankful that the words that you said to him, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased can be words that you say to us when we place our faith and trust in you when we yield and surrender our lives to you when we come to you broken as we are that you might make us new that you might make us whole that the good news of the gospel might become not just somebody else's but ours 
Father, I thank you for those who are standing who, who need that today. They're trusting in Jesus. They're yielding their lives. They're surrendering their lives so that the Spirit might live in them, indwell them, and begin to slowly but surely change their lives. Father, thank you for them. May the Spirit continue to point them back to your Son, Jesus Christ, and how amazing He is. And Father, for the rest of us who have relationship with you, who (laughs) the, the experience of the Spirit is up and down in the sense of sometimes we feel your Spirit working more powerfully and sometimes we don't, we pray that you would be so kind as to stir the Spirit in our lives. Stir the Spirit to grant or extend or receive forgiveness. Stir the Spirit to convict of sin in ways we're living that we know don't please you and then empower us to live anew. Father, stir the Spirit to help me and to help us get our our heart and our minds not focused on ourselves but focused on all those we know at work, at school in our neighborhoods, in the nations who don't know you. Father, stir the Spirit in our lives that we might know how wide and long and high and deep is the depths of the love of Jesus Christ so that our affections might grow for him, so that we might be empowered to live for him in all of life. Father, I thank you for this family. I thank you that, as Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans and widows. I will send someone who will not just be with you, but will live inside you and empower you to be my disciples who help to make disciples. And that person is the Holy Spirit. I thank you that the Spirit is here with us this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.